Hey, some exciting news and just a quick note before we begin. Earlier this month, we were nominated for a podcast award. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would appreciate it if you vote for us for the 14th annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. To vote for us, please visit podcastawards.com and click the blue button that says Nominations Now Open. You'll need to create a quick account, but once in, select History of the Marine Corps from the drop-down menu on two locations. The first is the Adam Curie People's Choice Award, and the second drop-down is in Society and Culture. Once those two are selected, hit Save Nomination, and that's it. We really appreciate your help. Now on to the show. Welcome to Episode 19 of History of the Marine Corps. The British Capture Philadelphia, Part 2. Last week, we discussed the British's advance and capture of Philadelphia. We also took a look at a couple of events which included a news story going viral about a Marine lieutenant partying on board the Delaware and a Marine who was rightfully hated amongst the officers on board the Randolph. This week, we take a look at the Continental Navy's attempt to take back Philadelphia and the British attack on Fort Billingsport Fort Mifflin, and Fort Mercer. We also take a trip across the pond and see the Marines and sailors in action in European waters. Thanks for joining, and let's talk about the history of the Marine Corps. British General Cornwallis and his 3,000 men just captured the temporary capital of the United States, and Congress needed a plan to retake the city. While General Washington was coming up with a strategy to attack the British on land, the captains of the Continental Fleet gathered to discuss a strategy on how to confront the British by sea. Captain Alexander was assigned the task of sailing the Delaware, Montgomery, and the Fly to Philadelphia and try everything he could to distract the British. If Captain Alexander and his crew should see the British adding additional fortifications to the city, their first task would be to ask them to stop construction. If the British refused to listen to their request, Captain Alexander was authorized to fire on Philadelphia. With his mission in hand, Captain Alexander gathered up the three ships along with five other galleys and headed towards the enemy. The British were in high alert and anticipated retaliation from the Americans. However, the field battery along the river was ordered to hold fire until the Americans took the first shot. As the sun was rising the following day, British artillery saw the American fleet come into sight. As day progressed, the winds changed, and the Delaware started to slowly sail towards the British. The commander of the British artillery unit reported that the Delaware was 400 yards away from his battery, and despite their orders, fired a warning shot against the American frigate. Captain Alexander responded by firing at the British as well. The Delaware would soon be joined by the rest of the American fleet, and they made an effort to advance further up the river and towards the city. Unfortunately, the gamble did not pay off, and the Delaware was hit with one of the cannonballs and caught fire. This caused panic amongst the sailors and marines on board the Delaware, and they scurried throughout the ship, putting out fires while simultaneously preparing defenses against the incoming volleys. During the confusion, sailors and marines were distracted and they neglected to control the sails and forgot to focus on navigation, 
This caused the Delaware to drift and beach near Windmill Island about 250 yards away from the British artillery. The flight also ran aground on the New Jersey side of the river. With the Delaware and the flight stranded, the other ships retreated down the river to escape the British. The Marines and sailors on board the Delaware hurried to their lifeboats and headed for land opposite of the British artillery. Lieutenant Nielsen and his Marines were able to narrowly escape and make it across the river before British Marine Grenadiers were able to board the Delaware and confiscate the vessel. Unfortunately, the crew left on board the frigate were captured and taken prisoner. They were later transferred to the local prison, where many of them stayed until the city was recaptured by the Americans a few years later. The Delaware was lost to the British, and besides being humiliating to the Americans and Captain Alexander, the loss of two American ships would be painful to the fleet. With Philadelphia under control and the Delaware River confiscated, the British set their sights on the Americans at Fort Billingsport. Billingsport is believed to be the first piece of land purchased by the United States government. On July 5, 1776, the Continental Congress spent 600 pounds on the 96-acre lot along the Delaware River. The British sent a fleet of ships up the river towards Billingsport. They were led by the Roebuck. The fort itself was still under construction and lacked a full staff. This was an attractive location for the British to occupy, and the 10th and 42nd regiments prepared to attack on September 29th. Two days later, they boarded ferries and headed to Raccoon Creek on the other side of the river. Commander of the New Jersey Militia, Brigadier General Silas Newcomb, predicted the British strength to be around 400 men. He was about six miles away from the British landing party and assembled 300 men and two to three field pieces to advance on the enemy. That night, he marched towards the British, who were still at their original landing site. While the Americans headed south, the British started to head north towards Newcomb and his militia. The two forces would meet at 0900 on October 2nd and a battle would immediately break out. This would be a short but intense battle. As Newcomb approached the British, he realized that his estimates on the size of the enemy's forces were drastically misjudged. Instead of a force of 400 men, Newcomb was greeted by 1,500 British soldiers. The sheer number of enemy troops provided constant fire against the Americans, and the New Jersey militia had no other option but to retreat. Newcomb headed north and engaged the British again at Mantua Creek. After another short engagement, the British Army disengaged with Newcomb's militia and headed towards their original mission, Fort Billingsport. Colonel Bradford and his 112 men of the Pennsylvania militia guarded the fort. He heard about Newcomb's retreat and the size of the approaching enemy. He decided that the best approach would be to immediately evacuate the fort. He ordered his men to spike the cannons and burn the barracks before they left. He and his men abandoned Fort Billingsport and headed towards Fort Mifflin, which was located on the other side of the river. The Marines on board the Andrew Doria would support Bradford's evacuation, and Lieutenant Dennis Leary and Lieutenant William Barney escorted the men and ammunition out of the fort and were safely transported from Fort Billingsport to Fort Mifflin. With the building abandoned, the fort would easily be taken by the British. The British removed any barriers surrounding the area so their ships could easily make their way into a defensive position and provide protection. 
Americans tried to stop the British from making these changes by sending galleys filled with men and fireboats towards the structures and ships near the fort. Unfortunately, this effort would be fruitless, and the British would remove all barriers in nearby waters, open a throughway of 100 feet, and by October 22nd, bring a naval fleet and three Hessian battalions to defend the fort. With Billingsport under their control, the British now turned their attention to Colonel Bradford and his men at Fort Mifflin. Fort Mifflin and Fort Mercer were important resources to the colonies. They provided seacoast defenses for the city and also offered a resupply location to provide resources for the troops in Philadelphia. By fall of 1777, Fort Mifflin had about 200 men garrisoned within its walls. Their mission was to hold off the British as long as they could so General Washington and his men could move to their winter billets. With the enemy advancing on the fort, an additional 200 men would be sent to help. The next morning, British artillery and British naval vessels bombarded Fort Mifflin. In spite of the intense volley, the fort was able to withstand the initial attack. French engineer and soldier Major Francois de Fleury worked every night repairing any damages and directed the Americans to help where they could. Without his efforts, the British would have taken the fort in no time. Fleury wasn't a Marine, so we won't spend time digging into his story, but I'll add a few links on historyofthemarinecorps.com if you want to dive into his life a little further. He has a great story. He was originally a French nobleman, joined the British Army, left Britain and volunteered to join the Continental Army under George Washington, and fought courageously in many battles during the American Revolution. The U.S. Army Engineer Association even has a medal named after him today. As a country, we like to tease the French and give them a hard time, but they provided a lot of support during the American Revolution. I think it's important to give credit where credit is due, and I personally appreciate the support from French during the fight for our independence. The Marines and sailors of the American fleet provided a phenomenal defense, and they were able to run the Augusta aground. The ship caught fire shortly after being beached, and by noon, the fire spread to her powder storage, igniting the supply and destroying the ship. Another British ship, the Merlin, met a similar fate, and was destroyed by fire after running aground. Attacking the Americans at Fort Mifflin was requiring substantial resources, and the British had to rethink their strategy. They went back to the drawing board, deployed additional artillery units on the opposite side of the river, and commenced the second attack during the second birthday of the Marine Corps. On November 10th, the enemy would attack the fort from a distance via a naval assault, and arguably the greatest bombardment during the American Revolution. They lined up approximately 228 cannons and squared off with Fort Mifflin's force of 10 cannons. The British launched an intense attack from artillery units and naval vessels on the fort. It was reported that over a thousand cannonballs were fired at the fort in an hour. As the British started to gain ground, British Royal Marines would climb the crow's nest and hurl grenades at the soldiers in the fort. Americans were able to resist British attacks for five days, but on November 15th, Major Simeon Thayer ordered an evacuation and retreated to Fort Mercer. General Cornwallis and over 2,000 British troops would follow the 600 Americans to Fort Mercer. Due to the size of the advancing British and the equipment they carried, 
The Americans would abandon the fort, leaving behind a large quantity of cannonballs and stores. The loss of the American forts left the Continental Navy at a disadvantage. Seacoast defenses were vital in protecting against raids. Coupled with naval vessels, they could provide a lot of protection against foreign entities capturing a city. But this was no longer the case near Philadelphia, and now the American fleet was left to fend for themselves. The smaller American ships took a chance, and they sprinted up the river as an attempt to escape the British. Despite the constant bombardment from the British, the gamble paid off, and they were able to make it. The larger ships wouldn't be as fortunate. The wind was non-existent, and the command decision was made to burn the ships. As we discussed in previous episodes, a lot of time, effort, and resources were spent on procuring and capturing Navy ships for the Continental Fleet. Burning the ships was a last resort action by the Americans, but it was an essential move to ensure their ships won't be used against them in future engagements. By December, the British possessed the Delaware River, from the Virginia Capes up to Philadelphia. 1777 was a bad year for the Americans, and they saw a lot of losses. The British had done a great job controlling resources and multiple rivers and cities were either blockaded or under British control. Most of the American coast was controlled by the British, but the war was far from over. General Washington and his army were deciding on next steps, and the Navy and Marines were doing the same at sea. While the army was dealing with the British on American soil, the Navy and Marines took the war to European waters. During episode 12, The Marines and the Navy Defend the Delaware, we briefly talked about Silas Dean, who was heading to Europe on a secret envoy on board the Betsy as the first diplomat to France. He was escorted by the Marines and sailors on board the Lexington. That was in June 1776, and since then, Dean has been working on building relationships between the French and American governments. Benjamin Franklin and Arthur Lee were also appointed as American commissioners to France, which was discussed in episode 13, and they contributed significantly in gaining support from France. Franklin would be especially successful, and he was able to acquire millions in loans and procure weapons, ammunition, and powder in secret. He was also able to acquire supplies and weapons for American ships to help capture British commerce vessels. The French hadn't officially declared support for the Americans, but they provided considerable help. With the off-the-record support from the French, Franklin developed his own strategy to help the war happening across the pond. The reprisal was currently being renovated in France, and as soon as maintenance was completed, Franklin sent her and her crew to the English Channel to help capture British ships. It didn't take long, and in a few days she was able to capture three British merchantmen. Shortly after the capture, the reprisal ran into another ship. This ship was the Swallow, a Royal Mail ship headed towards Lisbon. The reprisal fired upon the Swallow and the two ships engaged in a quick broadside battle. The battle took place in high winds and rough seas, and due to the complications of aiming in these conditions, both ships sustained very little damage. However, the crew experienced some casualties. The reprisal had one man killed, and Lieutenant Robert Harris had his left arm ripped off by one of the cannonballs. The Swallow had two sailors burned when their cartridges blew up and caught the deck on fire. 
Regardless of the weather, the reprisal continued to advance on the Swallow. As it approached, British Marines would fire upon the ship, injuring several American Marines, which included Lieutenant John Elliott being shot in the wrist and many of his men sustaining injuries from the musket balls as well. The reprisal persisted, and soon she was near the Swallow. Within raiding distance, Marines on the reprisal quickly boarded the Swallow. Once on board, the captain surrendered and the colors were lowered. The reprisal took the crew prisoner, and she sailed towards northwestern France with the Swallow behind her. While they were traveling, they came across the Betty, another merchant ship that was filled with brandy and wine. There wasn't much of a fight here, and the Americans easily captured the ship. The Betty was added to the two additional ships captured by the reprisal during her voyage. She arrived in France on February 13th and was greeted with outrage by Lord Stormont, the British ambassador in Paris. He was outraged that the French would allow American ships to port their newly acquired prizes in French waters. Even though the French didn't officially support the Americans in their fight for independence, allowing captured British ships to dock was a passive-aggressive stab against the British. The French foreign minister understood Stormont's point and he was able to successfully cool things over by ordering the captured prizes out of the country's waters within 24 hours. Although Stormont's anger was somewhat justified, the minister's move was more political than anything else. And before the 24 hours were up, the Americans sold all of the cargo and supplies from the captured British ships. Benjamin Franklin sent a report to the Committee of Secret Correspondence regarding his activity in France and the capture of British supplies. He also included that he ordered the reprisal to make another cruise before they returned to America. The American fleet would prepare to make one more cruise before heading back. While this was happening, the Lexington pulled into Bordeaux, France. Once in port, the captain of the Lexington, Henry Johnson, left for the long trek to Paris to meet with the American commissioners. When Johnson arrived, Franklin, Dean, and Lee would brief him on their plan for a pretty aggressive attack by the Reprisal, Lexington, and the Dublin against the Irish fleet. Johnson headed back to the Lexington so he could pass the news to his crew. When he arrived, about a quarter of his men requested to be discharged from the ship. This would have been devastating for the Lexington, but fortunately, the French were there to help out, and the discharged crew was replaced by the Frenchmen. On May 22nd, the Lexington joined the other American ships in Loire and prepared for their journey. Within a few hours after arriving, Marine Lieutenant John Carr was discharged from the Lexington, reducing the amount of support from Marines on the ship. Marines were understaffed, to say the least and the Lexington was left with two Marines, Lieutenant James Connolly and Sergeant John Barry. The Dolphin had a crew of eight Marines, and the Reprisal had a full crew of 40 who served under Captain Miles Pennington and Lieutenant John Elliott. All ships received their orders the following day. If possible, the ships were not to separate from each other, and they were to head to the Irish Channel as one. Once they reached their destination, the fleet would cruise around for about a week so the remaining smaller ships could catch up. Any captured ships and supplies would be transferred to nearby French and Spanish ports. However, 
Any cargo and ships would be declared as American property to avoid similar protest Americans experienced in France. On May 28th, the American Navy launched their mission, and within five days, they were able to capture 14 ships. The American commissioners in France also purchased the release of an Irish sailor, Gustavus Cunningham. Cunningham helped the Americans earlier by capturing military supplies, but he was imprisoned by the request of the British ambassador in France. He and his crew would serve on board the Revenge, and for months seize and destroy British ships throughout the coast of what is now the United Kingdom. Lord Stormont would voice his anger again. He was enraged about the actions of the American fleet, including the Revenge, and the lack of action taken by the French. He threatened to quit his post and cut all diplomatic relations with France. With little option, French officials commanded the Reprisal, Dolphin, and the Lexington be impounded and held until it was clear that they would head back to America. While leadership was trying to figure out next steps, Captain Wicks recommended Lieutenant John Elliott be promoted to captain. Wicks strongly recommended Elliott to the American commissioners, and he stated that Elliott should be entitled to the rank of captain since he has been with the reprisal since the beginning. He has always behaved well, and he was a very proper person. Captain Nicholson, captain of the Dolphin, agreed with Wicks' assessment and strongly recommended Elliot as well. The commissioners agreed with both captains, and they promoted Elliot in August. He was transferred to the Dean and was given command of Marines on board the ship. Naturally, Elliot was unhappy about leaving the reprisal and his Marines, but this promotion extended his life, although not by much, as we'll soon find out. Stormont continued to complain about the Americans. His persistence was so intrusive that the American commissioners agreed that the Continental Fleet should stop cruising in European waters and be sent back to the colonies. Commanders of each ship were notified, and all ships left France by the middle of September. The Lexington was the last ship to leave port on September 17th. On her way back to America, she ran into the Alert, a British 10-gun cutter. They duked it out, but the Lexington ran out of ammunition and was forced to surrender. Marine Lieutenant James Connolly would be killed during this engagement, along with six other men. Eleven others would be wounded. A portion of the crew was transferred to Mill Prison, where a few of the men would manage to escape. Among them were Captain Johnson and Marine Sergeant John Barry. The reprisal separated from the Dolphin, and they headed west towards Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Unfortunately, the reprisal would encounter a large storm and sink off the coast of Newfoundland, killing all on board except for the cook, Nathan Jacques, who was picked up by a French ship headed for Bordeaux. Next week, the Americans will head back to Europe, and the French will discuss picking a side. Join us next week as the Marines and Navy take a trip back over the Atlantic Ocean, and the French discuss what side they will align with during the war. If you like what you're hearing, check out historyofthemarinecorps.com. Here you can subscribe to our newsletter, find out more information about each episode, and take a look at references used for each episode. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Marine History, and on Instagram at History of the Marines. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. We count on listeners like you to share, and any help would be greatly appreciated. If you don't like what you hear, 
please contact us through historyofthemarinecorps.com and let us know why. I'm always looking for ways to improve. Thanks for listening and Semper Fi.